My name is Jonathan Hobbs. I am actually from the greater Philadelphia area. It's where I was born and raised. Um, I, I went to Eastern way back in the day. In 1997 was my freshman year. Uh, I graduated from Eastern College. Uh, my wife graduated a semester later from Eastern University. I'm not upset about that at all. Um, Many, many years later, I actually got my master's from Eastern, uh, from Palmer Seminary, and then I'm actually now in the doctorate program at Palmer Seminary at Eastern. I, I, I might be the only person ever that will have had my undergrad, grad, and postgrad work and worked there. Uh, so it'll be an interesting thing. Um, I'm here this week and next week. This week we're going to talk a lot about... Um, Sheep and shepherds is the metaphor that I'm going to be using. Uh, I'm going to try and leave a significant amount of time of back and forth. Well, what, what, what hit, what didn't, what made sense, what made no sense, uh, because my brain sometimes makes a hard left, and I promise myself I'm going to come back to the interstate, and I, I never do. Uh, and and so it's it's helpful to be reminded of. Oh, hey, by the way, uh, at the same time, I also am the type of person that if I have a PowerPoint, then I never like you have an excellent question which we'll never get to because that's not what my next slide's about. Uh, and so I've chosen not to. I've tried this last year to not use PowerPoint specifically so there can be more of this. Uh, so that's the hope, that's the goal. Uh, we'll see how we do. So we have a whiteboard for when things uh, maybe could use a little bit of a visual. Um, I, I also, I gotta be honest, there's a lot of pressure in being the last two weeks of the series, like there's there's a part of me, like I feel like I'm walking into a faculty meeting right now where you all have your PhDs in next generation and I'm just, I'm, I feel like I'm defending my dissertation right now. Actually, you're all just like, that's not what Daryl said, actually. Um, I disagree, respectfully. So uh, it is true, I, I, uh, I was actually at Eastern when Daryl Pearson was hired. Uh, and very weirdly enough, uh, I was renting a room from a professor because I couldn't afford to live on campus. And Daryl got the job super last minute. Uh, and so his family was still in Colorado and he was living in a hotel. And he said to me, he goes, you don't know anyone that like rents rooms or anything. I was like, actually. And a week later, my professor is living in the, the room next to mine uh, for a few, that was weird. And uh, him and I uh, became really good friends over the years, and so it was an honor to replace him. And, uh, and so, you know, no, again, I just can't get out of this guy's shadow. I come here, and it's like, well, Daryl was here a couple weeks ago. I'm like, man. Yeah, I mean, it's like, just first off, ditto. Right, uh, on everything he did, and then also he was wrong about everything, uh, and here's my take. Um, there's, there's a trap when we talk about generational differences that I want to acknowledge right off the bat before I even do like a little bit more of an introduction, which is um, there are things we got wrong, and that's what next week 
is going to talk about a little bit. Uh, but like I called it things we got wrong because that's way more interesting than things we got wrong and some things we got right and some other things we'll talk about. That, that, that title doesn't sell books. So, uh, but that, so we're going to talk about some things that you've actually probably heard. I'm worried to death you've heard this summer uh, because they're really good talking points but actually what turns out is the data proved them wrong. So we're going to try to address that a little bit next week. Like I said, this week is a little bit more of, I guess it's more of an attitude uh, check, which would have been really great probably, I don't know, in May when this started, right? But hey, better late than never. Uh, as uh, Matthew said, I, so I'm here in Philadelphia now, but my full-time career, so I've worked in New Jersey, I've worked in New Mexico, Back when I was getting my first full-time job, there was this new thing called the internet, and I uploaded my resume. My last name is Hobbs, and then I wasn't really sure if I uploaded it correctly, because in 25 years, nothing has changed about the internet, about, did I, did I do that right? I'm going to go back and check. So I go back and check, and I searched for Hobbs, and two things came up, my resume and a job opening for Hobbs, New Mexico which I had heard of before and did a report on in fourth grade because I was just lazy. And I was like, Hobbs, let's do that. So I, I knew of Hobbs, New Mexico. It's about the size of this room. And it's, uh, but who, have you ever seen Friday Night Lights? Anyone ever, uh, the movie specifically, uh, Midland, Odessa, Texas. It's an hour from Midland, Odessa, Texas, an hour from Lubbock. And then there's a little town called Seminole, Texas. It's really West Texas is what it is. Uh, and that's where I lived uh, for uh, two years. And if you ever get a chance uh, to visit, you, you can skip it. It's really, it's, you, it's, it's a, um, but I, I actually enjoyed my time there. Uh, pump jacks and whatnot. Learned a lot about petroleum. Um, and then uh, by his grace and love, the Lord called me to a resort island in South Carolina. I lasted longer there. I know that's shocking, uh, but uh, I, I worked on Hilton Head Island. If you ever get a chance, run, don't walk, go get there. Uh, wonderful place, did ministry there for um, about five years. And then I went to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, and oddly enough, all of them began with an H. I went from Heightstown, New Jersey, to Hobbs, New Mexico, to Hilton Head Island, to Hempfield. Uh, and then I went to Paoli, just had to mess up the whole thing. Uh, and I was, that was my longest tenure. I was there for uh, about 13, uh, 12, 12 years in Paoli, Pennsylvania, uh, before I got called to Eastern University. The interesting thing is, in that time, so 25 years, a generation is roughly speaking 20 to 25 years, which means um, I ministered to two or possibly even three different generations in that time because it's a, a span. And, and even weirder for someone that's in uh, the role like I was in is that you don't just deal with a teenager, you're dealing with their parents which can actually be a three-generation span, depending on how old they were when they had kids. So it's kind of crazy how generations work. Uh, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but it's one of my favorite things to realize that, like, Bill Clinton and Donald Trump were both born in 46. Keanu Reeves was born in 64. They're both boomers. They're all, all three of them are boomers. Keanu Reeves and Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, they're all the same generation. 
That's the only ever time I lump those three people in the same category, right? But according to generational science, or generational theory really, they're the same, they're the same. So that's when you have to also realize there's limits to generational theory. We are actually gonna talk a lot, I don't know if you've had someone specifically dive into the actual generational theory. Uh, the most popular of which is by a, a team, uh, Strauss and Howe, uh, generational theory. Uh, and shockingly new. That's, it's not like, it's not like, oh, that's from, you know, 1843. No, it's from 1991 uh, is when generational theory was published. But the creepy thing that they did, and like I said, we'll talk more about this next week, is they went backwards to show generational patterns. And then they went forwards. If I read you a part, and I might do this next week, of their book, where they talk about 2020 and 2022, it would freak you out because it was a little too accurate. Like it, it was weird how much they nailed it. Um, that there are these patterns that flow. And again, it's not just since 1940. They went back to 1500s and showed about every 80 to 85 years there's this cycle. So generational theory actually proves to be helpful. I don't consider it scripture. Uh, I want that to be understood. Like, I'm not like, no, no, this is what's going to happen. This is what Strauss and Howe told us. So, uh, you know, every, every, every morning I wake up and read Strauss and Howe for my devotion. No, that is not, you know, the way we do it. It's a helpful lens to look at. Because my ultimate question is actually about how do I help the next generation know Christ? That's, that's the big thing here, all right? Um, it tends to be helpful when you know a person, how they think, what they value. In fact, if you don't know those things and you're trying to tell them about Jesus, I don't really know if you care about them that much, right? We want to know people, uh, and we want to tell them the most important thing they'll ever know. So, as we, um, as I keep saying as we dive in, my students love that. It's like five minutes left in class. So as we dive in now, um, as, as we get going on this, kind of, no, we're going to, it's going to feel a little scattered. A really good talk, you know, starts here and then it's just very linear. Da, 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 A equals B, which equals this. Which, this is going to feel more like here, here, and here, and here. Uh, and so let's just, you know, buckle up and here we go. So... I, uh, the, the, the title that I kind of gave this was that shepherds do not make sheep. Sheep make sheep. Uh, uh, shepherds do not make sheep, equipping and empowering the next generation. So, talking about generations is tricky because while there is a shared vocabulary, the meanings of what we're saying isn't always universal which is really, really annoying. Um, a, um, I think I can share this story, but like, so a friend of mine, anyone here know Italian? I don't know. Uh, so a friend of mine loved the Italian language, decided to uh, learn uh, uh, Italian. So she actually went to Eastern as well. And so the first word, this is, I hope this is appropriate. If it's not appropriate, just complain to Matthew. The, um, she looked up the word excited, 
Okay, and she always, I am so excited to meet you. Oh my goodness, it's so exciting to be here. I am so, this is the most exciting day. So then she gets to go to Italy. And she has spent a lot of time learning Italian, and she's, you know, she doesn't feel that, but she wants to do it, so, oh, molto bene, and she's talking about how excited she is, because she loves that word. About a week into her trip, someone finally pulls her aside and said, almost quoting uh, Anigo Montoya in Princess Bride, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. It turns out the word she looked up, excited, um, we would use the word aroused. <laughs> she went around Italy to all these very conservative churches and just said, I am so aroused to be here. It is. <sighs> I don't know if I've ever been more aroused. So the thing is, the translation was correct, right? We were using, but it wasn't, it didn't mean the same thing. And sometimes that happens when we're talking about generational differences. Even when we say something like secular, um, I, I don't know if you've known that, uh, but sometimes you'll hear me say the word secular, and that doesn't always mean, like in a church, we're saying non-Christian. Well, that's technically not what the word secular means. Um, so, if, um, I, I, so in, in the next generation, when they're talking about certain things, when we're talking about generational differences, I want to make sure we are saying what we mean and that you hear me well. Um, oh, actually, even the word generation uh, is actually not agreed upon, but the basic rule is roughly 20 years, roughly every 20 years. Um, right when we feel like we've gotten something figured out about generations, uh, it's normally, roughly speaking, when the next generation dawns. It's like, oh, we, we figured out millennials. We're like, well, that's great because they're 40. Uh, so, um, hmm. uh, I actually had to explain to a group of youth pastors, um, guys, why are you talking about millennials? Like the youngest millennial right now, if I have this right, is like older 20s, maybe even younger 30s. Like right now, if you're talking about reaching millennials, you're not talking about reaching teenagers. I hope you know that. Um, but yet, still, I, I've heard people say, yeah, I mean, we really, you know, we want to reach millennials. I'm like, that's great for what, your volunteers. Uh, that's awesome. So the bigger point that I want to just make here to start us off is that when I say equipping and empowering the next generation, um, I actually don't mean the next generation. I actually mean the next generations. Uh, it's more of the, the posture and the attitude that I think that's going to be important. Um, when we keep going, uh, you've, I'm assuming that they kind of talked about this, but like the labeling of the generations, there's the lost generation, um, there's the interbellum generation, which is actually what's referred to as a sub-generation. Sub-generations are within other larger generations. So for example, you've heard of millennials, you've heard of Gen X, uh, some of you may have heard of the word zenial, uh, which sounds like someone was really bored during COVID and just wanted to come up with new words because they were stuck in their house. But what's interesting is, I thought that was ridiculous. A person described what a zenial was and I was like, that perfectly describes me, darn. Uh, and so there's actually some helpful truth to it. But once again, it helps us to understand people. Uh, 
It's a helpful lens. It's never like the Bible kind of a thing. But uh, interestingly enough, the first generation that we tend to talk about is the boomer generation. When we talk about generational differences, do you know why that's the generation we tend to talk about the most? Or first, I should say? What was that? Yeah, largest. Interestingly enough, this sounds weird. That's the one that was named during its time. All the uh, the ones before that we got named retroactively. You know, we didn't call the greatest generation the greatest generation. Like, can you imagine that in high school? You know, it's like, well, Jimmy, you are the greatest generation. <laughs> no pressure, uh, but there's about to be a war, and we're sending you. Uh, you know, no, that's not how how that went. So. But boomers got called boomers um, pretty much during the teenage years. The other thing that shifted, and I, again, this is some of the stuff that I feel like I'm getting into next week a lot, but the this sounds somewhat um, cynical, but the reason we really started paying attention to all these differences is money. And, 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 se and selling things, marketing, right? Is that the boomers not only were bigger, and this was the, uh, because if you've ever heard that teenage didn't exist before 1940, this is one of the things we got wrong. That's not true. Teenage existed for about as long as we have. Ever read the Canterbury Tales? There's a, ca uh, there's a character called the Squire. All you have to do is read the Squire from the Canterbury Tales. What is he? That's a teenage boy. That is a teenage boy through and through. Uh, there is no, uh, I'm trying to remember which psalm it is, but the message says, there's three things I will not understand. You know, how, uh, and I'm trying to remember how a snake slithers. And then it's like, why a young man does what he does? Uh, and, and so this idea that teenagerism didn't, didn't exist before the 1940s, that, that's a bit of a falsehood. What didn't exist was, honestly, their buying power did not exist. So all of a sudden, we're really paying attention to teenagers and what they want, what they're like, uh, what, what could we do to reach them. The church was not the first one that wanted to reach teenagers. It was companies. It was Coca-Cola. It was, you know, fill in the blank. Um, so, Boomer Generation, Gen X, uh, Gen Y, which is more commonly referred to as Millennials, uh, then Gen Z, and then the next one is Gen Alpha, if you haven't heard of that. And therefore, the one that starts around 2025 being born is... What? Beta. Yeah, look at that. Y'all figured out the Greek alphabet. That's great. The, uh, so, Latin. Anyway, that's not my area of expertise. But yeah, Beta is the next uh, generation that has not been born yet. So we're not going to talk about them. That's fine. In fact, most of Alpha has not been born yet. Or half of Alpha has not even been born yet. So, each generation considers... I'm going to try to say this right. The generation before and the generation that comes next to be foreign to them. So if you don't understand the next generation, congratulations. They don't understand you either. It's fine. Uh, but they consider it like a foreign concept to them. It's, it's very, very... Uh, in fact, it, there have been studies that shown that Teenagers that are the same age, that don't speak the same language, feel far more connected 
than same language of, the, of, the, of one generation up or down. Oddly enough, they feel more connected to two generations up or down. And that's because of what's called generational waves. Uh, boomers had way more in common with Generation uh, Z than Generation X. I'm sorry, Generation Y. Boomers had more in common with Millennials than they actually have with Generation X. So anyway, we'll talk more about that next week. Doesn't next week sound great? Uh, I brought the wrong notes. So shepherds don't make sheep. And if you leave with nothing else today, I really hope you understand this. Shepherds don't make sheep. Sheep make sheep. If you don't get that, you should talk to your mom and dad about how biology works. But yes, that is what I'm referring to. But I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to try to attack this from a few different angles. So first I want you to understand the burden of the whole jumble. The best way that you might have to imagine, in churches across America, for the last, for as long as I've been doing this, so for the, at least the last generation, the last 20 years. In churches across America, there is a meeting that happens all the time, and it doesn't tend to go anywhere, which is there's a group of leaders, normally they're older, and they say, why aren't younger people attending our church? And sometimes they come up with what's referred to as modality changes, uh, we'll talk about that next week. Uh, see, I told you. This is, so this is like an hour-long trailer for an hour-long movie. Uh, it's kind of weird. But it tends to end in some sort of thing of like, well, you know what? This, ne this next generation just isn't that interested in church. So the first angle I want to at least address is that every generation, at least for the last 50 to 60 years, refers to how fast the next generation's world is speeding up, how fast things are going. Um, I, I really hesitate to say it because um, <laughs> I was doing a, pro a research project and I read a letter from the mid-1800s where a mother was speaking to her recently married daughter and she used the phrase, and the world is just moving so fast right now. Okay, um, It's wonderful. I, 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 I'll try to bring the quote next week, but there's this great quote that talks about this next generation. They don't respect elders anymore. They don't stand when we come in the room. They, they disrespect their teachers. They're not interested in knowledge. They just want to make jokes. And then you have people guess what it's from. And it turns out uh, the person that said it was this guy named Aristotle. Um, and, and there's another quote from uh, William Wilberforce, person um, who ended slavery in the UK, which really sent... And he actually talked about, oh man, this generation, you, you send them off to university, they lose their faith, and then as they come back, they're trying to you know, rebuild the faith they had from their childhood. And I was like, wow, I'm so glad that things have changed uh, and got better since that, that time. But every generation goes through this process. And the world is definitely picking up pace. Technical advancements from 1500 to 1600 are not even close to the technical advancements from 1900 to 2000. My great-grandmother was born at home uh, uh, 
horse and buggy, really, to be honest. She was born in 1900. All right, she saw people land on the moon. All right, slight difference in technology. In fact, I'm just, she was not alive when smartphones were invented. Uh, my grandmother just passed away at the age of 95 uh, a couple months ago. And she just barely, they didn't own a car, but they didn't own a horse. You know, there was that nice in-between stage where you were neither. But, yeah, she saw all the way up to rockets that come back and land. Uh, she, she had a smartphone. She had an email address. The, 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 the jump in technology, which means information gets shared faster, which opinions get shaped a lot faster. The top five, and it, I actually put in my notes, isn't it ten, the top ten? But that just sounds wrong. Like, I don't want to believe it's true, so I'm putting five, because that sounds right. But the top five, ten, sought-after jobs in 2015, not even talking about 2020 or 23, 2015 did not exist in 2005. Did not exist all right. So therefore, you ask a kid in middle school, what do you want to be when you grow up? Just stop asking that, honestly, because the top 10 doesn't even maybe exist yet. All right? A little bit of a challenge for my work, <laughs> which is the next generation's... Uh, so, that means if you go to college for technology, what you learned your freshman year is possibly not true by the time you're a senior. My iPhone has more computer power than all of NASA's computers combined when they landed on the moon. Things change and they change fast. But to the younger generations, this is just life. That's just life, right? Um, uh, I don't have this in the notes. I'm not trying to make any political or... So I guess I am making social commentary. Um, I would argue... COVID was hard for everyone. Quarantine was hard for everyone. Like, that's why we don't like, hey, let's just do it all the time. All right. But my kids, they didn't love it. They did a lot better than I did. Right. Because it was kind of somewhat life to them. Like, I had an hour-long Zoom meeting, and I took a nap after that. They had to learn algebra via computer. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's kind of life. The old joke with uh, setting the clock of the VCR, which uh, <laughs> I, that dates me, right? About yeah, how do you set the clock on your VCR? You turn to your kid and say, would you please set the clock on the VCR? Thank you. Uh, or my dad would just put electrical tape over the clock on the VCR. <laughs> And there's two or three of you in the back. A VCR would play these things called tapes, and we would watch movies on demand. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, so, um, yeah, who shows grandma how to use her iPhone? Well, it could be her son, but that'd be a waste. Just get the grandkid, just get the grandkid to do it. So things that are moving that fast, how on earth are we supposed to reach the generations? as they come up. So I'm going to pause there. We're going to go somewhere you weren't expecting, which is Star Trek. Uh, and I mean the, the original Star Trek. And um, I was at a church and I told him I was going to use this example. 
And I just love when something about a person just pops out accidentally. Uh, where a person, I was like, oh, I was going to use the Star Trek example. And, and the priest was like, I actually have like a, 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 like a like Starfleet outfit. And I was like, I don't. I don't think that's, I don't think your congregation needs to see that. Uh, but, but I was like, but I, I'm glad to know that when I explain this episode wrong, you'll call me out. Um, but in the original Star Trek, there was a uh, episode, it is many times referred to as one of the worst episodes in the original Star Trek series. But they, they uh, I'm going to use some broad strokes here, so please don't come at me afterwards with, that was a terrible summary. Um, they land on a planet and they find that there's like only teenagers and younger. Like it's like 20 years old and younger, roughly speaking, right? And they're like, what's going on? And, you know, all of a sudden some of the crew start to get sick. And what you find out is that there's this like virus in the air. And anyone older than 20 years old died. And so you cannot live past 20 years old on that planet. And... Because I spiritualize everything, my wife loves that about me, uh, is that I was like, if that happened here, if that was something that was announced, by the way, you have like a month if you're over 20. What, and like, say goodbye to family, we all know that, but like, now we have to like hand down the faith to the next generation. We want them to know. This, 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 right? You have a month to do it. Like in your head, just kind of make a list of what are the things that you're going to try to immediately hand down. And the interesting thing I always like to ask churches is, now, is there anything on that list that you haven't been doing yet? And why? Because, it, from my angle, um, well, actually, it's not even mine. Rick Warren at Saddleback famously says, uh, Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. It's just that simple. Right? So therefore, if, if our goal is to hand things down, then what should we be handing down? And if we haven't been handing it down, well, why on earth not? Al Reese was a marketing genius of the... Godness, I want to say 70s, 80s. Al Reese was his uh, name. He wrote a book called Focus. It's not a church book. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing mar uh, marketing book. It's pretty thick. And in the book, this uh, author makes a comment. And I, like this other pastor talked about it. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'll read it because all the cool people are reading it. I was, I was actually ready to just debunk it as a stupid thing to bother reading. And the exact same thing happened to me that happened to this pastor, that this one line jumped off the page. And it's not even the point he's trying to make. He's trying to make a bigger point. I have no memory of what that bigger point is. What, do you ever have that? Like, I met, uh, I have a friend named Andy Crouch, and we were having lunch, and he said this one thing. And I have no idea what he said after that for the rest of the lunch, because his side comment changed my life. Like, uh, and so uh, it was such... So many times it's the point on the way to the point that can sometimes be the big thing. Alri said, well, obviously, since the next generation product almost never comes from the previous generation, 
dot, 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 and I literally can't remember what's after that. The next generation product almost never comes from the previous generation. And it's easy enough to see the truth in this with TV shows, commercials, social media. Uh, the example that a lot of people use is Twitter, which is now not called Twitter, but I'm too old to care. So, uh, but I asked my uh, new students, classes start tomorrow, but we had a meet and greet with some of my freshmen that I'm teaching on Friday called Faculty Fireside. And uh, I said, what apps do you use? And I was just waiting for someone to mention one that I've heard of. <laughs> and thankfully, it got this one kid in the corner. It's like, Instagram. And I was like, yes. Want to guess what they did not mention at all? Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. You know who Facebook is for? You. Okay? It's for pictures of your grandkids. Uh, it, it is for, it's, 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 it's the reason that high school reunions don't happen anymore. Uh, because that was like the point, was how are you doing? Now you just search, you know, oh, he's doing terribly. Um, yes, I never liked him. The, uh, so, yeah, the, it, it's fascinating how the next generation product n pretty much never comes from the previous Generation, the thing that will reach the next generation, maybe it doesn't come from the previous generation. How do we reach the next generation? Crazy, crazy idea. Maybe you don't. They do. Most of you weren't reached, at least in a huge... I'm a really big believer in evangelism as a process, not a moment. Uh, so you can come at me all day about that. I can defend that statement. But there's the, sh there's the moment you think about that's the light that shined, the speaker that said something that just suddenly made sense. But to me, that's thanks to an army of people that invested into your life, that talked to you over here. And the reason that you're still a Christian after that is because of army of people over here that invested in you. And But most of the time, the voices that you hear are the people from your generation, the people that talked. And then you mature to the point of being able to listen beyond. Um, so the burning question is, how do you reach it? So what does it mean that we don't? Well, it means that when it comes to the next generation, you're not a sheep. You're a shepherd. Because shepherds don't make sheep. Sheep make sheep. I would suggest to you that, and this sounds like kind of maybe leadership psycho, babble, something, whatever. Uh, it sounds like a self-help book, and I'm trying to avoid that. But I want you to understand, I really do believe that shepherds, when it comes to the church, when it comes to the next generation, equip and empower the sheep. Okay? There's an old story. It's one of my favorites, so I keep telling it. Um, this young couple, um, they got married recently, and uh, they decided to have ham for dinner, and the wife said, oh, I'll make it. I know this, my mom's recipe, you know, the way she did it, I loved it. It's like, great, you have dinner tonight. All right, so 
comes out and the ends are cut off on the ham. He'd never seen this before. So he's like, what's up with the ends cut off on the ham? She's like, well, that's always the way my mom made it. Uh, you know, always liked her recipe, so well, that's how we did it. And he's like, oh, okay. Lovely dinner. A week later, it's still bothering him. So he decides to call his mother-in-law. That's how much it bothered him. He reaches out to mother-in-law and says, hey, so Cheryl made a ham last week. It was amazing. Uh, she, like, cut the ends off of the ham. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he, and he's like, what's behind that? And she's like, well, honestly, it's the way my mom <laughs> always made it. And always liked it. And, you know, we always... So we did it. Well, it turns out her mom's still alive. So he works up the courage. And he um, calls her. Says, hey. This explains the whole thing again. She goes, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, cuts off the... Oh, yeah, yeah. So why... Why is that? And she goes, oh, well, when we, when, you know, my husband and I first got married, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of things. And a normal ham wouldn't fit inside the one pan we had. So we cut off the ends so it always fit. Three generations. <laughs> I, uh, I, I worship at an Episcopal church. I've actually, I did not grow up Episcopalian. I just kind of got dragged in kicking and streaming. But um, uh, there's, I think it's called the gradual. I'm such a terrible Episcopalian. I don't know the terms. Um, in between the scripture readings, there's, there's the Old Testament or epistle reading, and then there's a song, and then there's the gospel reading. When I was down in South Carolina, I asked the senior pastor, I was like, why do we sing a song in between? Because everyone's always looking, can we make the service a little faster, right? You know, can we make this hour and a half long thing? Just And so I looked at that and I said, what can we cut that? Why do we do that? That was my question. Why do we do that? And the answer I got is, oh, well, you know. In some churches today, in all Anglican churches back in the day, they would process out to the middle of the congregation. And they would bring out a Bible roughly the size of, you know, I don't know, a large refrigerator, and open it up. And they would read the gospel reading from the center. And so they would have a song to kind of cover the footsteps of the people walking out and prepping that moment. And I said, that's great. But that's not what I asked. I asked, why do we sing a song there? Because we don't read the gospel reading from the center. You can imagine a 20-year-old youth pastor did not make a change in that historical church. But the hilarious follow-up to that is, if years later, at another Episcopal church, the one I currently still attend and I worked at, like the bishop was visiting or something, and so they were going to, they, they, they did it. Okay? But 
the gradual became a contemporary song and the bishop was like, well, that's not what you march out to. So we did the contemporary song and then the choir stood up and sang another song so that they could walk out to the center. It was like, oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> there. Oh, go ahead. You know, you bring up the ham, that's a great... That's a great example. Mm -hmm. Another example I think we can all relate to is the keyboard. So if you look at mm -hmm. the history of why our keyboard has the letters where they are. Mm -hmm. um, Qu the QWERTY. Yes. It was to slow down typing yes. because typewriters would actually get stuck. It used to be in alphabetical order. Um, your, your typewriter keyboard used to be in alphabetical order, but people were able to type too fast. Then, oddly enough, they changed to the QWERTY, which slowed us down, which they then ran oddly enough, worldwide contests of who could type the fastest. And we've never changed back, even though it's no longer, because the ribbon and the, the, the keys would actually get stuck on each other as they're pounding in the typewriter. There is no other reason to have a QWERTY keyboard except to slow you down. And uh, so, yeah, that's exactly right, is we're never going to go back. Uh, sort of a thing, but the reason we don't have a keyboard laid out in a way that makes sense is because of a problem that we no longer have. That's exactly right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's yeah. Literally on your phone. Yeah. And yeah. The. Uh, <laughs> when we pass along things to the next generation. Sometimes they're really good at bringing up things that don't actually make sense. And sometimes we get a good laugh out of it. And sometimes we get deeply hurt by it. Because part of our identity, I mean, what about Mr. QWERTY? I know it's not his last name, but it is one of the few letters, uh, words in the English language that don't have a Q with not a U after it. A Q-W-E-R-T-Y, QWERTY. But, uh, sorry, I just... It's one of the things I'm kind of an expert on. Uh, that's not true. But, the, but this idea of, oh, well, what about the person that invented that keyboard? Uh, it was actually said, every idea that is in place in every organization was once a good idea. That takes some real imagination in some organizations, right? But it was a good idea. Uh, and you know who really likes the way things are done? You know who really, really likes them? Obviously, the people say the older generation. That's not necessarily true. But the people that really like the way things are done are the people that thrived in the system that is currently in place. So someone comes along and wants to change it, change the thing that you did really well with, right? Oh, that doesn't feel great. And you know what we can do so fast with the next generation? This is great. Super easy move. I bet you've never done it. You can just demean them because they're younger. Super easy move to do. Let me train you how. You don't need it because everyone does it accidentally, sometimes on purpose. Well, I mean, I'm sure that makes sense to you. But when you get to be my age, you'll realize that there's value. I'm now his age. There's no value <laughs> in the thing that I question. Yeah. Nope. The, uh, I think it's massively important that if the church 
wants to hand down the essentials of the faith that we can't, we cannot confuse the essentials with some of the stuff that worked for us, but to be honest, are optional at best. In fact, some of us are, you know, oddly enough, at least I've seen this in the church. I am not an organizational expert everywhere, but for some reason, I feel like we're really good at handing down the baggage and the junk. Like, why is that first on our list? Well, first, dear, I need you to have crippling anxiety. And then this will all make sense. Uh, You know, I have a crazy idea. How about we skip step one, and then we don't need all that stuff over here. So... Um, equip. Let's actually equip what needs to be equipped. One of the big scandals in Scripture is what the Gentiles didn't need to be welcomed into the kingdom. In Acts, I want to say chapter 4, but I'm going to get it wrong. Off the top of my head, the Council of Jerusalem. It's not 4. Maybe it's 12. But the Council of Jerusalem, the whole argument, almost every one of Paul's letters, Paul is arguing against a fact that you don't even think about, which is, do you need to be Jewish to become Christian? Do you actually need to become a Jewish person, part of the Jewish faith, to then go on and be a Jesus follower? In fact, I know some churches, I don't know if this is one of them, I'm just making a point, not a a value statement, that don't actually um, quite appreciate or even fully validate Jewish Christians of today. Things like Messianic uh, Messianic Jews and Jews for Jesus. They exist. Okay? And I know some churches that are like, eh, it's a little weird, I don't really know if that's necessary, whatever. That's actually what most people 2,000 years ago were going for. And Paul's thing is, no, 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 you don't have to go through all of that to follow Jesus. He never said, don't do that to follow Jesus. Uh, the old joke, but, but, but the whole concept of this was that, well, you know, um, if you're, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to become Jewish. And if you need to become Jewish, there's this thing called circumcision. Uh, and the, the joke a friend of mine said once is, you know, all of the new member classes were, were female. Uh, it was amazing. There's just this mild operation you need to have to join our church. No, it's such a fascinating concept that that's something we don't even think about anymore. One of the massive arguments in Scripture was what do we actually need to pass down? What do we actually need to pass down? Um, I was... I know I'm actually already over the time I wanted to go, so I'll speed this part up and we can do a little back and forth. But I was actually really disheartened by my one my friend's churches. Uh, they did a survey. I think they were about to hire a new pastor, so they were like, let's figure out what the people in our church love and what they think we need to work on. And the thing that scored the highest by far in his church was love of our facility. And I was like, I actually want to belong to a church that that's like, hey, we got a place, but that's like, on the top 100, that might be 100 on my list. That was by far their number one thing. They loved their facility. Uh, and I was like, oh, I don't really want to pass that along to the next generation. 
Right? I actually, I, anyway. So, uh, like I said, I'm a little behind, so I'm just going to, like I said, hey, come back next week for the remainder. Um, so equipping is handing down the faith, empowering. And this is the thing I think we really forget. I always like to think of like you hand down the Bible. We hand out Bibles, right? You know what I would really love to do? Is also start handing out keys to the church. And maybe, maybe not ones that actually work. But, <laughs> but the idea of, hey, this is your faith. And this is your church. Like I'm handing over the keys to the church. So I'm not just handing you the faith. I'm empowering you to make some changes. Because you know why? Because I'm not going to reach your generation. You are. Um, the joke about the Twitter and, and all that is that every person I know that first tried Facebook that was older than 30 was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. This is so dumb. It's weird because like five years later, they all invested in it and became millionaires. But, uh, but this idea of Twitter to me today still makes no sense. Uh, I, I don't understand. But it reached a massive generation. I believe the thing that will reach the next generation will probably make no sense to you. It'll make no sense to you. But you know what they can't do is fund it. They can't. The next generation can't fund their ideas, but you can. And you can celebrate when they try something and it didn't quite work. And, and what's amazing is sometimes they come around and they end up in the same place you were. By their 40s, their church looks a lot like your church. But you gave them the ability to reach their generation. Um, I talked about celebrating. Um, I'm actually going to talk about something I wasn't planning on. So uh, in 2005, 2005, the Youth Ministries Department at Eastern University was considered one of the top departments that had like five full-time faculty or four or five full-time faculty and in a full-time assistant in the office. There were 76 people in the freshman class of youth ministry at Eastern University. I am currently the only staff member. It is no longer its own department, and we had six people in the freshman class last year. I asked around, is this because, oh, Eastern's too conservative or too liberal or whatever, we're too whatever. Uh, no. There is no youth ministry program that is just thriving in the world right now. In fact, there's no undergraduate ministry program, which makes me so glad I left a well-paying job to uh, shift careers. Yay! But here's an interesting thing. I think we've done a terrible job asking the next generation if God might be calling them into ministry. I was asked when I was in seventh grade. Let me just tell you something you already know. You've never met a seventh grade boy that you're like, I think you should lead a church. <laughs> no. No. He's on his like third bowl of fruity pebbles and ah, 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 whatever. Alright. But being able to just look at a crowd and say, guys, you're you're it. Maybe God's calling you. And just plant the seed. Plant the seeds of the future church. Because you're the church. And so, oh, aren't children the church today? Yeah, yeah, they are. But they're not the leaders of, of the church today. But they are the leaders of the church tomorrow. Right now, we have 
something like 50% um, drop off, we believe, in most mainline denominations of people going into ministry versus projected people leaving ministry in the next 10 years. Churches, do you think, oh, you've heard this, people aren't coming to church anymore. Churches are going to have to close because people aren't attending. What's really crazy in the next 10 years, churches are going to close because there's no one to lead it. There's, we, don't have, we don't have people in seminaries. And when we do have people in seminaries, it's their second or third career. They're all 35 years and older. Someone in their 20s in seminary is one of the rarest things right now, which is shocking. Right? So one of the ways you can equip and empower the next generation is look at that strung out, way too much sugar kid and be like, I bet God might have plans. And, like, they didn't look into my eyes. They talked to a room of us. It's not hard. Um, this is something that is a little biting. And like I said, I actually had something else I was going to do, but we'll, we'll maybe go here and then do some question and answers. I, I really like this group called Orange. Um, they, they rethink youth ministry. And one of the things that Reggie Joyner, who uh, helped start that, said is, middle schoolers and I believe high schoolers, studies have shown, will gravitate toward the oldest person in the room that takes them seriously. I want to say it again because this is about to hurt. Middle schoolers and high schoolers will gravitate toward the oldest person in the room that takes them seriously. So therefore, if you've been the oldest person in the room and you don't see middle schoolers coming up and talking to you, maybe we need to start looking in the mirror of how seriously we're taking the next generation. If all I am is concerned and want to, oh, you know, you know what you're doing, little Jimmy? You're burning, the, you're burning what I love down. You know, they're, you know, they're not going to come and talk to you. You know what? Uh, if all you want to do is think about the ways it could go wrong, that's not going to help. Um, the people that were some, some of the most influential people in my life don't even know they were influential. Mrs. Heiser wrote me a letter. Hey, Jonathan, I saw you in church last Sunday, and you just looked like you were having a rough day. I want you to know I prayed for you. I was in ninth grade, 10th grade, whatever. Um, hey, you know, uh, I, I, when I was 18 years old, 19, I think, actually, I was asked by my church to help lead the adult Bible study. It was not due to my quality of knowledge. It was due to the fact that they wanted to have representation of the next generation in that Bible study. And here I am. Worked. I think that some of us really need to make sure, am I taking the next generation seriously? My neighbor loves cars. My nephew loves cars. He was like, would your nephew want to, like three or four of us are rebuilding this car. You ask my nephew who the oldest person is that takes him seriously. It's Bob from next door. And, and like we're talking like, he's like in his late 70s. He loves hanging out with him. Loves hanging out with him. There is, teenagers do not naturally dislike the, the older generation. They don't feel that you like them. I hope you know that. It's natural. 
It's kind of like hanging out with your boss. You know, it's like, ah, you signed my checks, so maybe, I don't think I'm gonna catch a beer with you after work, thanks. Uh, the idea of, no, I really need a strong invitation and know that, that you value me. That's a big deal. Um, like I said, there's some other stuff, but handing down the scriptures, handing down the Bible and the keys, Understand that you don't reach the next generation. The next generation reaches the next generation. Having that posture. So therefore, when you see someone that is of the next generation in your church, they are one of the most valuable assets of your church. Our current pastor did something I have to applaud, which is a kid was crying in the back. And the mother was really embarrassed. And he said, you know what that is? He stopped. And he just said, you know what that is? He goes, that's the sound of a growing church. Well done, sir. Well done. Um, and so, anyway, um, that's where I think we're going to stop today. Uh, we, I, I wasn't kidding when I said I was going to be all over the place. You're welcome. Uh, thoughts, questions, comments, concerns? Uh, yes, please. Just your comment, Governor, one small group, the other couples are younger than us. Yep. The a friend of mine, something very similar. He decided at church there was this kid and this kid, and he just said, "Hey, what are your names?" And they're like, you know, I forget Eddie and Bob or whatever it was, right? And he said. It's good to meet you. I'm Tim. You know, and shook their hand. Next week, Bob, Eddie, good to see you guys. High five. That's it. He did not know their last names. He did not know any. Every single week said hi to those two kids. The mom talked about how they looked forward to seeing Tim. When they went, they didn't know Tim's age. They didn't know how much he made. They, they don't know anything about this guy. The mom knows that he's like one of the head elders of the church or whatever, but but they have no idea. He's Tim. Uh, things like, little things like that of just smiling when you see them, saying hi, knowing that you're valued, it's huge. Uh, it can't be overvalued, actually. Any other thoughts? Let's go here, then here, yeah? You said, halfway through, you said, uh -oh. a guy had a big, long conversation, and you can't remember where it ended, but in the middle, he said, it changed your life. Oh, sure. I'll tell you, tell you what, what, what it was. Um, so I'm, I'm talking to Andy. This is, this is one of the things that changed my life. This, my life has been changed by many people many times. I said, listen, Andy, I, I was writing a book, and I said, would you write the, the intro? Would you be interested in I said, I know you're really busy, but and he said, um, actually, I'm not busy because busy is not the, pump, the, the goal. Uh, and he goes, but I can't do that because then I would be busy. And I was like, oh, that was like a ninja move in my opinion. He's just like, no, the, it's, I'm not busy right now. And that's where I'm trying to stay. So if I do that, I would become busy. And by busy, what we really are talking about is overwhelmed. right? We're talking about too busy. I actually don't like that about American culture. Busy is good, too busy is bad. I'm like, you know what, I think we need to invent a word here that means appropriately, you know, a full calendar and it's less than what you think it is. But that was what it was, was I had to take my calendar and say, maybe I got to get rid of about half the things on here. And then I got this job and joined a doctorate program. So apparently I was not listening whatsoever. Uh, yeah, in the back.
So there are some churches that are trying to be attractive based, and I'm not a big fan of that. Of like, hey, everyone, look, like it's totally fun to be. It's so cool to follow Jesus. If you've ever said that, please stop. Um, but what uh, the question was about, you know, um, it, it, there's a certain level of maturity to accepting a concept of faith. Uh, and actually, honestly, there are some days I think we should just go full, what's it called, rumspring? The Amish rumspring, where it's like, all right, go try the other ways and then come back. But the, the, maybe the slightly better way of knowing this is there are three ways that people tend to actually um, come into the church. There are three moments in their life. Uh, it's when they are getting married, um, just started a family, had kids, and tragedy of some sort. Okay? So, again, if I'm trying to reach people, I put personally all of my resources into those three things. Or because of the fact that that's when they are ready to hear what you're saying. However, if you only do that and don't have a ministry that is, I always hesitate to use the word relevant because that, that, that word got hijacked, like excited. Uh, and what we would have to watch out for is, I do believe that youth ministry's goal is not only to make the faith relevant to a teenager, which it is a big deal, because what you struggle with on Tuesday is not what they struggle with on Tuesday, but Christ speaks to both and to help the, the youth understand that. However, then the next step, which is what's, what's failed over the years, and this is our church home, you are a member of this family, those are the churches that have sticking power, that you are a member of our church, that we love you. They believe that Christ loved them, that God loves them. They're not so sure you love them, is what the studies show. And that's not something that has to be matured into. It is something that I think retro, uh, retroactively is appreciated, to your point. Retroactively, they look back and go, oh, I really hated that Sunday school. But that woman also that was teaching it, I think, also hated it. But she was there every single week trying to explain to me why Nahum has something to say to my life. Uh, and, and, and that is something, as a 44-year-old, I appreciate. But this is one of my rules I don't expect teenagers to not act like teenagers. And teenagers don't appreciate a lot of things in life. When a teenager says they're in love, do you go, you're totally in love? <laughs> no, no, you get it. You get what mom and dad not, you know, have. You know, no, you get It's the same thing. No. However, it's the same feeling. It's the same chemicals. It's just not the same life experience. So the thing is, the emotion's happening, the experience is happening, and when we discount the experience, we've told them we don't care about you. We have to watch out how much we say, when you're my age, you'll understand that what you're feeling is stupid. Uh, 
<laughs> no one feels cared for in that sentence, which is what we tend to sell teenagers. And the thing that we have to realize, we are way over time. And you're like, that coffee looks good, John. Shut up. Um, but I'll tell you this is, it, you don't drag kids to church anymore. That's just the cultural reality that we have. You don't drag, drag kids anywhere. They've done studies on it. Uh, three weeks in a row, if your teenager is screaming that they are bored out of their mind to come to church, that they don't want to go, three weeks in a row a parent can handle it. The fourth week, they throw in the towel. If it's in a row. Oddly enough, the back flip of that, if a kid says, I want to go to church and mom and dad don't want to go, we have not found a number where the parent won't say, all right, fine, we'll go. So what's interesting is it's no longer mom said we're going, we're going. It's more, uh, there is an element of the, the, the kids feel, are looking forward to going because they feel a part of the family. Uh, family reunions. Not every kid enjoys going to them, but you go because you're family. Um, imagine if your family reunion was every Sunday morning. Uh, you know, so it gets a little tricky. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. You keep bringing them, even though they say they don't want to. So this is such a hard. This is such a long thing. There was a very popular video that's on um, some of the social media right now. I don't remember the the woman's name. She's very passionately talking about. In my house, Sunday mornings are sacred. Uh, you do not play baseball. I've told his coach. Da da da. And like my friends who are pastors are like, yeah. Uh, here's the thing. You know what? Uh, studies don't show that dragging your kid to church gets them to come to church. Uh, in fact, and this hurts, so just get ready to get hurt, and then you can come back and yell at me next week. Um, what happens on Monday through Saturday at home is way more important and normally gets you to what happens on Sunday morning. So if you're dragging them, it's actually normally less about the quality of the ministry of the church than what we're doing at home to help them understand why we even go to church. The reality is most parents have actually said, I've been going to church my whole life. I don't feel equipped to explain to my kid why we go to church. And that's a generational problem, is that they feel like they've been cutting the ham but they don't know why, but they felt the need to keep doing it. That's not why I want to go to church. I want you to understand why we do what we do, what the value of it is. Um, so, and, and that's what's lacking. So I, I, I should say this. What's really, really hard is you're here. All right. The people we're talking about are the ones that aren't. So the thing is, a lot of the stuff I say doesn't make sense to people that are here because you're here. The system worked. <laughs> Congratulations, you nailed it. Uh, but if we want to reach the people that aren't here, we have to actually understand the world of the person that isn't here. But honest to goodness, the biggest thing is how this church can talk to the people out there that are of the next generation. That's a huge step. And that big step is just letting them know how much you appreciate that they're here. Will they eventually uh, mature into a mature faith? Absolutely. But if they know that you're excited that they're here, I cannot explain to you how valuable that is and also how missing that is from a lot of people.
right, um, I normally would close in prayer. Uh, I'll say a very quick one. Thank you. Feel free to come up and chat with me. We'll go there. Uh, Lord God, thank you so much for the people that care about the next generation. I actually believe we all really care about them. We maybe aren't as good at letting them know we care. Uh, Lord, help us to lean into being shepherds and not try to be sheep. Um, Help us reach those that are unreached. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.